And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. And apparently the gateway for everybody and their dog that wants to come north. Today is January 31st, 31st day of the year. 334 days to the end of the year. In 314, Pope Sylvester I is consecrated as successor to the late Pope uh, Militiades. The uh, 1578, the uh, 80 Years' War and the Anglo-Spanish War, Battle of Glen is a victory for Spanish forces led by Don John of Austria over a rebel army of Dutch, Flemish, English, Scottish, German, French, and Walloons. And of course, in 1606, we had four of the conspirators with the gunpowder plot, including Guy Fawkes, executed for treason by hanging, drawing, and quartering for plotting against Parliament and King James. Uh, 1747, the first venereal disease clinics opened in London, Lock Hospital. In the, uh, 1814, Gervasio Antonio de Posadas becomes Supreme Director of the United Provinces of the Rio de la Plata. That's modern-day Argentina. The, uh, 1846, after the Milwaukee Bridge War, the U.S. towns of Junotown and Kilbertown uh, unified and uh, create the city of Milwaukee. The uh, 1848, John Fremont's court martial for mutiny and disobeying orders. 1862, Alvin Graham Clark discovers the White Dwarf star, Sirius B., the mysterious companion of Sirius uh, through an 18 and a half inch uh, telescope now located at Northwestern University. Uh, 1865, American Civil War, Congress passes the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, abolishing slavery and submits it to the states for ratification. The uh, 1865, Confederate General Robert E. Lee becomes General in Chief of all Confederate armies. Little, too little, too late at that point. He was uh, never in favor of the war, but he said he was going to serve his state. Uh, 1917, Kaiser Wilhelm II orders the resumption of unrestricted submarine warfare. And also in 1915, Germany is the first to make large-scale use of poison gas in warfare in the Battle of Bolimau against uh, Russia. The uh, 1919, the Battle of George Square takes place in Glasgow, Scotland, during a campaign for shorter working hours. 1928, Leon Trotsky's exile to Alta. He and Stalin and Lenin were all uh, compatriots until um, he didn't follow Lenin's party line. 1942, Allied forces are defeated by the Japanese to battle Malay and retreat to Singapore. 1943, German Field Marshal Frederick Polvis surrenders to the Soviets in Stalingrad, followed two days later by the remainder of his Sixth Army, which ended one of the world's fiercest battles. 1944, American forces land on Kojilian Atoll and other islands, Japanese held Marshall Islands. Um, 1944, during the Anzio campaign, the 1st Ranger Battalion, known as Darby's Rangers, is destroyed by enemy lines in a heavily outnumbered encounter at the Battle of Cisterna in Italy. 1945, U.S. Army Private Eddie Slovak, executed for desertion, the first such execution of an American soldier since the Civil War. Um, 1945, um, are still in the World War II era. 3,000 inmates from Stutthof concentration camp are marched into the Baltic Sea at Palmdiken uh, in Russia and executed. 
1945 also saw the end of fighting in Battle of Hill 170 during the Burma Campaign, in which British Three Commando Brigade repulsed a Japanese counterattack on their position and precipitated a general retirement from the Arakan Peninsula. The nineteen forty six Democratic Republic of Vietnam introduces the Dong to replace the French Indo Chinese piastre uh, at par. Nineteen forty nine, the first television daytime soap opera, These Are My Children, is broadcast by NBC in Chicago. Nineteen fifty, President uh, Truman ordered the development of uh, thermonuclear weapons. The suit salesman really got into war. Nineteen fifty-one, UN Security Council Resolution Nine related to the Korean War is adopted. Let's see what else we got. 1971, Apollo program, Apollo 14, astronauts Alan Shepard, Stuart Rosa, and Edgar Mitchell uh, lift off for a mission to the Frau Morrow uh, Highlands on the Moon. 1971, the Winter Soldier Investigation, organized by the Vietnam Veterans Against the War. Uh, they wanted to publicize war crimes and atrocities by Americans and its allies in Vietnam. That investigation began in Detroit on this date. 2018, both the blue moon and the total lunar eclipse occur, which is very rare. 2019, Abdullah Fahang, this one is the 16th Yangdi Pertuan Agong of Malaysia. 2020, UK's membership in the European Union ceases in accordance with Article 50 after 47 years of being a member. And in 2022, Sue Gray, a senior civil servant in the UK, publishes an initial version of her report on the Downing Street Partygate controversy. And for those that are not familiar with it, it's a political scandal in the UK about parties and other gatherings of government conservative party staff held during the COVID-19 pandemic. And public health restrictions prohibited such gatherings. This ultimately played a role in Boris Johnson's departure as Prime Minister. Um, you know, part of the issue is, um, on the one hand, you've got government uh, looking down on the people it's supposed to be governing. I just, uh, prime example, I just walk. Well, Watch two uh, videos by John Campbell out of England. He's uh, been following the, the COVID. And Pfizer, after close of business on Friday, came out with a press release that basically, to my way of thinking, said nothing. But what had happened, one of their uh, man in charge of their R&D admitted they were, they were mutating COVID, uh, which, of course, would allow them to produce more and different vaccines and increase their bottom line. And, and he was confronted by an undercover journalist. And he started talking about, well, he was, he was making it up to him to impress this individual he wanted to impress. Um, but this was a senior official at Pfizer. He had already been in trouble. The company had been in trouble for uh, falsifying its uh, research data. And then something else that uh, Campbell had to say was absolutely shocking. 
Shades of 1984. The George Orwell book, 1984. It turns out that the UK had the 77th Brigade, a military organization, monitoring what people said on social media and creating dossiers on those who didn't agree with the party line. Now, we've got something much the same here. It's called the Democratic Party, or at least the left wing of the Democratic Party. But do we have military units that monitor social media? I'm sure we do. The British didn't operate in a vacuum. What they do is try to put a lid on freedom of speech. You can't say anything that doesn't agree with what we want. And that's what our current president has been, in effect, saying since he got in office. I tell you what to think, and you do it. Well, this is America. Uh, first person tried to do that to me was my first grade teacher. Didn't work out too well. And uh, basically what it boils down to, if half what our elected officials do is known about, They'd all be in jail. Now, <clears throat> there has been um, a lot of information come to light about the fact that uh, the Wuhan uh, lab that created uh, COVID was actually funded by a uh, grant from the National Institute of Health, a U.S. organization. Now, National Institute of Health grants, by law, may not be given outside the country. But what's a law when you've got a higher purpose in mind? I'll leave you to think about that. We've been talking about... Uh, Haunted hospitals. Um, there is. Um, we were talking about Concordia uh, University, and one of their dorms had been a um, hospital. And in the basement is a crypt with over 300 bodies, and they can't open the crypt to move the bodies because some of the nurses there there were um, a uh, religious nursing order so they were nuns for the most part died in infectious diseases some of which we don't have a um, antidote for today so The spokesman from Concordia University said, uh, you know, for the nuns, this was their life. This was their home. This was their family. They're always welcome back. And some folks who have spent time at that particular uh, residence hall reported strange experiences. October 17, 2014, the Montreal Gazette published a story entitled Montreal's a City of Ghosts. And in it, one student claimed she was unable to sleep properly while staying in the building, regardless of what she did to get ready for bed, including chamomile tea or even sleeping pills. And her dreams were plagued by ghastly images. Every time she shut her eyes to sleep, horrific images of tortured children being burned alive with lay on the inside of her eyelids, eventually moved out of the residence. Only thing that brought an end to the nightmarish vision she was suffering from. Other student residents shared different types of experiences when they were reviewed for an October 2015 article in the Concordia, an independent newspaper that provided local news and arts and music and sports. And One student... Uh, told a reporter, I'm constantly feeling as though I'm sharing my space with other people. It's been multiple times I've seen both nuns and children walking around corners and standing in the lifts. 
Another student said, I haven't had any experiences, but I've definitely felt them. I wasn't alone in my room. Then another resident told the CBC that uh, she found it creepy and there was something eerie about the building. She said, I feel that's kind of like a ghost hospital. Then another individual who was interviewed by CBC said students moving into residence are, are literally sleeping above the cemetery, which is literally a few meters below. And a lot of students really get creeped out by this. And students have reported hearing the tramping and crying of um, children coming from the top floor of the building. Now, according to some daycare workers at the Gray Nuns residence, and that's basically the unofficial name for it, a couple of children in the daycare have encountered and played with that same young imaginary friend. And the imaginary playmate matches the description of one of the orphans who died in the 1918 fire been described as wearing a tattered hat and ripped charred clothes. Now the real question, given the stories of the building's past and the, the fact that there is a crypt in the basement with 300 or so bodies in it, would you be comfortable sleeping at that residence? That's something you got to consider. Now in Montreal, we got the Royal Victoria Hospital known to most folks as the Royal Vic or even the Vic. They built on 35 acres near the bottom of Mount Royal in Montreal. And it's been a landmark for that city since it uh, opened in 1893. Now, many historically notable surgeons are associated with this particular facility. Lieutenant Colonel John McRae, author of the Classic poem in Flanders Fields, Martin, Martin Henry Dawson, the first person in history to inject penicillin into a patient, and John Dossiter, who coordinated the first kidney transplant in both Canada and the Commonwealth. But little known, Royal Victoria Hospital is also the setting for multiple stories of phantom footsteps, nearly apparitions of former patients and Flickering lights and nurse collars being buzzed when nobody was around to press them. And the sounds of disembodied voices in deserted corridors. Now the building location, which overlooks the city, might be considered gothic and somewhat foreboding by some folks. Jolene Haley, the author at the Midnight Society, Wrote, it could just me, be me, but I always get a creepy Arkham Asylum vibe from the place. That's uh, Arkham Asylum is a fictional psychiatric hospital that uh, you can find in some DC comics. 2015, the Hospital of Operations at Royal Victoria Hospital moved into the Glen Campus of the McGill University Health Center, all part of a 10-year plan to incorporate the old buildings into a larger vision for the university and the local community. Regardless of what happens next to the various pavilion buildings that make up the Royal Vic, there will always be tales of strange happenings inside the, the walls of these historic old buildings. Now, there are the usual miscellaneous tales of mysterious figures seen lurking in the wards, and they're visible one moment and fade into nothing the next, but some intriguing stories about this building have been shared over the years. McGill University Health Center collected some of these stories in April 30, 2013. They shared a selection of them on their website. Now, one story is about a nurse who saw something in the staff room she couldn't explain. She'd had a long and tiring overnight shift and decided to take a quick nap during her break on the couch. And while she reclined on the couch, she opened her eyes and saw an odd, wispy white substance, a kind of a smoky light floating above her. When she looked more closely, the white smoke appeared to be in the shape of a person standing over her. And, of course, that got her attention. She sat up, brought her legs down on the floor, and said, Go away, but the smoke didn't move. You know, she reached out to try to touch it, and her hand passed through it, and the, the foggy whisk seemed to dissipate. About to lie down again, thinking she had simply woken up from an odd dream when the 
the white, wispy fog appeared again, and this time with another two human-shaped apparitions. Now, the nurse couldn't even scream at that point, but instead got up and left. Never saw any similar ghostly wisp of smoke like that again, but she was never tempted to lie down on that particular couch again either. There was an online testimonial from a person identified only as DB that appeared on the Haunted North America website. One morning when DB was a patient at the hospital, this was back in 1996, she took a walk, frustrated by her long stay and realizing based on her scheduled release date she'd be at the hospital for a long time recovering from surgery. Rushed over and making her way down one of the hallways, she was thinking about how badly she wanted to be finished with a hospital visit that it seemed would never end. And as she walked along, contemplating all this, she looked to her right and noticed another patient she hadn't seen before in the hospital. Saw the woman stood in the doorway of one of the patient rooms. And her hand clutched a tall intravenous pole and she looked directly at the, the one telling the story and said, uh, you really want to get out of here, don't you? Well, somewhat chilled by this woman's presence, uh, the storyteller said she couldn't utter a single word. Said she'd never seen that woman before. But the woman seemed to know exactly who she was and what she was thinking. She noticed the nurse's station just a few feet ahead and was struck by a feeling she didn't want the nurse to see her speaking to this woman. So she turned her head back toward the old lady and just nodded. So the old woman said, straighten your back and walk as fast as you can go to the nurse's station. It's going to hurt, but, but you'll be out of here in no time. Well, she thought about that big those simple instructions for a moment. Considered a dozen or so steps it would take to complete the task, took a deep breath, put her head back, straightened her back, and walked as quickly as she could. Well, a few hours later, her doctor came to see her and said she was healing nicely and she could go home. Well, she never saw that strange lady again, but uh, a few months later, when she again went back to the hospital for a follow-up appointment, elevator she was on stopped inexplicably on the floor where she had had her encounter and the first thing she spotted when she stepped off the elevator was that intravenous pole in the same spot the old woman had been holding it now she realized at that point in time that there had been some uh, supernatural forces at play and the conversation in the hallway wasn't the only reason she felt there was something spectral about that old lady Earlier in her stay, shortly after her surgery, she woke up in the middle of the night in a pool of blood all over the bed sheets in her pajamas. Bleeding her stitches had uh, popped open while she slept. She rang for the nurse who arrived and saw the blood and called for assistance. But when the nurses checked the bandages and her incision, they found both the bandages and her stitches completely intact. That blood wasn't hers at all. And nobody could figure out where that blood came from. But later, after some blood work was done on her, it was determined she was anemic, needed two pints of blood and a transfusion. Well, she believed that some presence in the hospital, apparently appearing in the guise of the old woman and the mysterious appearing blood, were constantly looking out for her. Another one of the spooky stories posted on the McGill University Health Center's website came from a former staff member. She had an interesting story to tell. She said a patient had passed away in the M5 cardiac ward. Upon declaring the time of death, staff arranged the body, left the room, and closed the door behind it to wait for his family to arrive. And when the family arrived and wanted to go into the room, the door was locked, which was unusual. It was locked from the inside. Uh, security was called when they unlocked the door. They confirmed there was nobody in the room other than the, the recently deceased patient. Staff speculated that perhaps the man who died had wanted his family to see him in that condition, so he got out and locked the door. 
former employees of the Royal Vic share the retail of a painting and hung on the wall in the Ross Pavilion. It depicted a house with a beautiful landscape, and it seemed normal enough except for the occasion when an old woman appeared looking out of one of the windows in the painting. Other times, the woman was visible in the doorway. The recurring appearance of the serious old woman in the painting was so disturbing that it was painting was eventually removed from the wall. What happened to that painting after it was taken down, uh, nobody seems to be too certain of. Among the many stories that have been shared about the Royal Vic Hospital is one that partly inspired writer Allison Grant, a former Montreal Gazette journalist and Dawson College graduate, to write a play in honor of the building and its ghost. It's called Progress, and it premiered in the fall of 2015, features two ghosts who in the tradition of a Christmas carol, do their parts to persuade a suicidal patient, the hospital's very last patient. Her life is worth living after all. Well, Grant thought about the hospital's closure and moved to a different location and said, what happened to the ghosts in those buildings when they stopped being what they are? The original idea of the ghosts being like caretakers was based on something uh, Grant's sister uh, told her. A teenage boy dying in the hospital can refer to a mysterious red-headed girl who kept appearing to him, helping him, comforting him. And despite the fact the boy spoke regularly to this girl, nobody else had ever seen her. Only sometime after he died did one of the staff members remember a young girl with red hair who had been a patient there and she had also died. The young girl's parents continued to visit the hospital on an annual basis, almost like a pilgrimage in her honor. Grant uh, remarked she couldn't help thinking what's going to happen to the red-headed girl when the hospital's closed. Where's she going to go? What's going to happen to all those people who died there? Well, considering all the people whose lives have been touched in the building since its inception in 1893, these questions are not only haunting, but uh, a little daunting to consider. In a... Uh, Grant talked about her play in another article. She said the play celebrates the building and its ghost. It's my attempts to play homage to those buildings and to our sense of what they've been in our lives. Many Montrealers who walk, have walked these halls and had profound experiences there. These, uh, these spaces became sacred in a way. A place of grief and memory and homage and thoughtfulness and a release of grief. Well, I'm going to step away from Montreal and go to Weyburn in Saskatchewan. It's the Weyburn Mental Hospital. It began its life as a mental hospital in 1921. And like many other facilities at that time, though, it soon began to admit people who, for whatever reason, simply were inconvenient to their families. Practice led to overcrowding and less than ideal conditions for both staff and patients. And beyond that, though, the hospital became known for extreme research experiments such as uh, that had been performed on some of the patients. They included uh, psychiatric drug testing that involved the use of LSD, um, hydrotherapy, also known as the water cure, where patients would be immersed naked in a tub of icy water before being quickly moved to a hot tub of scalding water. And other notorious treatments also include insulin therapy, electroshock therapy, and even lobotomies. Since the hospital's um, closure in 1971, visitors have reported hearing uh, shuffling feet and see shadow people walking through the halls and darting into rooms. Some even claim to have seen a woman where no woman should have been, either looking out windows or pacing back and forth in front of the windows. Atmosphere at the hospital reportedly makes people feel uneasy. One photographer related feeling suddenly and violently sick to his stomach in some of the hallways. So much uh, so that he couldn't continue to walk down them. Well, lest you think Canada is the most haunted uh, part of this continent, let's cross the border and go to California. Wolf Manor. It's in Clovis. Entrepreneur and skeptic, 
Todd Wolf decided to build a haunted house attraction in Old Abandoned Hospital. And he had no idea when he did that how much his life was going to change. His attraction was called Scream If You Can. It offered manufactured haunts in a place where, according to some, real hauntings were already taking place. Wolf told the Fresno Magazine things started happening and I didn't want to tell anybody. On one occasion, I felt a breath of air on my neck. I remembered I was... And on another occasion, I was touched on my lower back. Eventually, one of the staff members from his haunted house was pulled backward into an empty room. He forced to acknowledge and, uh, to himself and to others the property really was haunted. Now, there's a difficulty inherent researching reportedly haunted hospital. When that hospital has been turned into a tourist attraction and a source of income based on those hauntings, Probabilities of exaggerated encounters certainly is going to increase. Now, at least some of the witnesses reported uh, paranormal activity at Wolf Manor. They have repeated their stories in multiple online locations, using exactly or nearly the same words each time. And this kind of reporting does, in fact, imply they were rehearsed or scripted, so uh, in determining whether or not a building is haunted, these need to be excluded from the the body of research. Now, Wolf Manor began its existence as a build-it-yourself mail-order house kit. Between 1908 and 1940, Sears and Roebuck Company offered homes for sale through a mail-order catalog. And if you ever went to an outhouse in Arkansas, that is the, well, let us say the accepted documents used for your final paperwork, shall we say. And once purchased, these houses were delivered in pieces by train to the station nearest the house's final destination before being trucked the rest of the way. And the kit that eventually became Wolf Manor looks to be the company's fanciest model called a Magnolia. Now the private owner, Anthony Andriotti, put the house together. And according to Terry Campbell, a historian familiar with the property, the 8,000-square-foot mansion was absolutely beautiful. It had five bedrooms, a ballroom, murals on the ceilings, even a swimming pool in the basement. Now, Andriotti lost the house in 1926. It stood empty until 1935 when it became the Hazelwood Sanitarium. The building functioned as a tuberculosis sanitarium until 1942. When ownership changed again, it became the Clovis Avenue Sanitarium. In 1950, the hospital began to treat both physical and mental ailments, and a wing was added to the original mansion to increase the number of people it could accommodate. I saw one or two of those Sears homes, and you would be hard-pressed to really believe that it was a kit house. Rumors about the mistreatment of patients abounded, though, including stories about people being tied up to a bed or a toilet and even being left lying naked in the hallway. The facility was overcrowded and understaffed, and since it lacked a morgue, up to eight bodies were stored in the basement at a time so somebody would come and get them. The hospital was shut down in 1992, but the story really doesn't end there. Such a dark and tragic history lends itself to paranormal happenings. Was the um, an off-the-cuff statement made by uh, Campbell in an interview he did with Fresno Magazine? Now, the, the current owner of the property, Todd Wolf, bought it in 1996 and turned it into a haunted attraction called Scream If You Can. 2004, noise complaints forced the attraction to close, but... Multiple ghost hunting television shows and paranormal investigation teams came to visit, responding to Wolf's stories of unexplained activity or at that location. And the resulting investigations, of course, solidified Wolf Manor's reputation as one of the most haunted hospitals in America. 2014, the building was declared a public nuisance, it wasn't up to code, and it was torn down. Now, Wolf, who still owns the property, uh, Plans to build a haunted luxury hotel there. 
you know, since that the uh, property or the hospital, as it was, lacked an actual morgue, the basement, perpetually cooled, doubled as the holding place for the dead. Bodies would be stored there until they could be picked up by the appropriate authorities. And it's little wonder that the basement is where the most paranormal activity has been reported at Wolf Manor. And many people have reported being touched by invisible forces, and not always nicely. People have been pushed, punched, scratched, hit. According to Benjamin Jeffrey's book, uh, one worker was attacked so badly in a crawl space in the basement he had to go to the hospital and have a neck injury treated. And then there's been the sound of a woman singing, heard even when there's nobody else on the property. By all accounts, she's got some talent. Then the Atlantic um, Paranormal Society, or TAPS, I used to watch on TV, investigated the hospital for their reality TV show, Ghost Hunters. And they had some interesting experiences in the basement. One occurred when two investigators were hanging out in the basement talking to each other, to whatever ghost might be nearby and able to hear them. Shortly after addressing the ghost directly, they heard a very loud, sudden bang, followed by a softer knocking sound coming from right above them. Dashing up the stairs in search of the source, they found a fist-sized chunk of concrete at the top of the stairs. And that rock had not been there when they went down to the basement. The sound they heard could very well have been uh, a rock of that size being thrown to the ground and bouncing before going to the top of the stairs. But if that was the case, the question becomes, who threw it? Later, when the lead investigators went down to the basement, they heard a voice. So loud and clear that at first they thought it must have come from uh, one of the walkie-talkies they were carrying. But um, turns out neither one had brought their walkie-talkies. It's thought the other one had one. The voice sounded so normal, so conversational, they immediately set to work looking for the speaker. Didn't find one. They let a replay their recording to hear what the voice said, and it said, I like the one in the hat. And one of them was wearing a baseball cap. So apparently, whatever or whoever decided to speak up in the basement um, about the fact that um, one of the two investigators seemed to be his favorite. And the men from Taps who investigated the attic had an encounter similar to the one in the basement with rock. This time it wasn't a rock being dropped, but a stack of papers. They were in the attic watching way passing cars made the shadows play across the window wall discussing how they might easily be mistaken for something unusual. Then they decided to check out the one of the back rooms and one of them said, uh, if you're here with us now, would you let us know? So a pile of papers fell loudly from the top of a box onto the floor. After they got over their shock, they investigated the source of the noise, found the papers, and realized what must have happened. They set the papers back on top of the box and walked and stomped and jumped and tried to see if they could shake the papers loose, but they couldn't. So that does raise the interesting question. Exactly what was going on? Now, there's only one bedroom on the third floor of the hospital that uh, Tom Wolf left furnished, and it was dubbed Mary's room. And they claim that the spirit of a woman named Mary inhabits that particular room. And if anybody disturbs or moves the furniture, Mary moves it back to where it was. She has a particular way she wants things done, apparently. Then uh, Terry Campbell reported he was guiding a tour through the kitchen when he saw a six-foot-tall figure in front of him. When, uh, of course, he thought it was one of the tour guests, but when he looked closer, he saw the man's face was blurry like a out-of-focus photograph. And as he watched, the figure faded from view right in front of him. Before he even had a chance to wonder if he'd been imagining things, one of the people on his tour with the same line of sight had gasped and said, Did you see that? An infamous photograph was also taken in the kitchen. Shows a dark shape in a doorway, which Tom Wolf claims was him. And a blurry dark shadow that appears to be a short humanoid just beside him. Now, Todd claims that the figures of a child or a child-shaped thing, and 
Is it one? Is is it really a child-shaped shadow person, or is it one of the baby ghosts that do inhabit the property? Well, according to a book called Lost in the Darkness, several investigators have reported encounters at Wolf Manor with spirits that resemble children in size and appearance, but have the faces of fully galore men. They tend to appear naked and have rebelly-looking bathed skin and are occasionally accompanied by shadow people. They appear to want to interact with people, but most folks find their freakish appearance somewhat off-putting. And whatever these things are, they've been spotted all over the old hospital from the first floor to the attic, and this is something that seems to be a little unique to um, Wolf Manor. Then let's go to L.A., the Linda Vista Community Hospital. Opened in 1904 as a hospital uh, to treat the railroad employees. Over time, the character of its neighborhood changed, becoming less affluent and more riddled with crime. You ought to see L.A. today. By the 1980s, the hospital was treating a disproportionately high number of gunshot wounds and stabbings, and the increased in uninsured patients forced it to close its emergency department in 1989. After the hospital shut down completely in 1991, it became a popular filming location for movies and TV shows, and even music videos, and was also the subject of several paranormal investigations. People reported unusual, unexplainable noises and apparitions at Linda Vista. Two of the most dramatic and detailed reports came from Nick Groff, a Coast Adventurers TV show, and a former nurse at the facility, Kimberly Chase. Both claimed to have had remarkably similar experiences at totally different times. Uh, Kimber was uh, at the hospital transferring a patient to another facility when she looked up and spotted a woman in the corner of the room. The woman was wearing a bloody hospital gown. She uh, met Kimber's gaze and reached out toward her, though asking for help. Of course, when Kimber uh, Chase tried to go to her aid, there was nobody there. And this is somewhat similar to, to um, Nick Groff's encounter with a similar woman at uh, Linda Vista. He saw a woman in a bloody gown who made eye contact and reached out toward him. He had a sketch artist draw her uh, based on his description, and when he showed that picture to Kimber Chase, he said it was the same woman she had seen. But thus far, nobody's been able to identify her. Now, in Colorado Springs, in Colorado, there's um, several hospital and sanatorium ghosts. Now, tuberculosis is a highly infectious, deadly disease. Nobody argues that. 1800s, tuberculosis was reported to be responsible for many as a quarter of the deaths in Europe. Symptoms include a chronic cough, often accompanied by bloody um, phlegm, fever, weight loss. Uh, the latter of which was one of the reasons it became known as consumption. Tuberculosis is spread through the air from coughing and sneezing and speaking and spitting. In early days of Colorado Springs, several hospitals and sanatoriums were built in towns at a time when the tuberculosis was of uh, widespread uh, global concern. And many physicians in the U.S. recommended their patients be moved to Colorado Springs in order to regain their health due to the town's dry climate and fresh mountain air. 1880s and 1890s, an estimated one-third of the people living in Colorado Springs had tuberculosis. That was home at one time, to Colorado Springs was uh, at one time. Home to as many as 17 different tuberculosis hospitals. Legislators in Colorado came close to passing a bill that required those with tuberculosis. They were known as uh, lungers to wear bells around their neck in order to be identified by the uninfected. Sharing a cutlery of glassware and even spitting on sidewalks became uh, taboo at that point in time. Now, one of the former hospital locations, Montcalm Sanatorium, was built between 1895 and 1897 and burned down due to an electrical fire in 1907. Said to be the source of several spirits which haunt uh, Miramont Castle Museum. Museum still has one of the original tuberculosis huts in a far back corner of its upper parking lot. A 2007 article in the Colorado Springs Gazette among the ghosts regularly spotted at this location are the 
the black-veiled widow whose face is spotted in mirrors, and Sister Henrietta, whose headless form is sometimes spotted roaming the hallways. Sister Henrietta was one of the Sisters of Mercy from the original tuberculosis treatment facility, and as the local lore goes, she hung herself in a solarium on the third floor after she learned she was pregnant. Another ghost in a museum is a four-year-old named Jenny. She's a fair-skinned little girl, often seen playing near the porcelain dolls in the gift shop. Um, in another report that was published, uh, Viola Butler, Miramont Castle's um, Miramont's castle keeper, said she'd heard singing coming from the tea room and the castle was completely empty. Also talk of the paranormal at the Red Crags Manor, a tuberculosis treatment building originally built by Dr. William Bell, one of the founding fathers of Colorado Springs, now a bed and breakfast. According to uh, one report, Red Crags is haunted by another Jenny, a little girl who's often seen in a green dress staying at the end of guest beds. Other ghosts, thought to be former patients from the location, include a soldier in a tattered uniform who appears on the third floor, and a beautiful young woman dressed in white who can sometimes be seen wandering across the lawn. 1973, a local chapter of Boy Scouts was camping in the area of the modern Woodman of America Sanatorium. It's a thousand-acre open-air campus with more than 200 tuberculosis TPs that were designed to allow the cool mountain air to circulate around the patients. After sharing some campfire stories with the scouts, including the story of Sister Henrietta, uh, the leader took a small group of boys on a moonlight hike. The group passed through a nearby cemetery where they witnessed what was described as millions of colored orbs dancing around the headstones while the eerie sound of bells rang through the night. Since that night, there have been other uh, reported... Uh, Reports of folks seeing similar bizarre phantom lights and hearing those mysterious chiming bells. You know, during the Spanish influenza epidemic of 1918, a building on the corner of Nevada Avenue and Kiowa Street was converted into a Red Cross hospital. The adjacent building was used as a makeshift morgue to store all the overflow of dead bodies. Later became a nightclub known as the Underground. Staff at the nightclub... Uh, over the years, have reported the eerie feeling of being watched when working alone in the kitchen at night, and some have experienced uh, things being thrown around a locked and vacant storage room. Even EVP recordings have captured inexplicable disembodied voices moaning, and one very clear uh, voice saying, uh, it was a male voice saying, Help me. Also, reports of a female ghost haunting the elevator and the upper stories of the building. Among all the spooky locations that at one time served as hospitals or sanatoriums in the Colorado Springs area, the two are still operational, and they continue to house uh, various inexplicable paranormal phenomena within uh, their walls. One's the Colorado Springs Psychopathic uh, Hospital, currently known as Cedar Springs Hospital, and St. Francis Hospital, which merged in 1989 with Penrose Hospital to create the Penrose St. Francis Health Center. Located at the foot of Cheyenne Mountain, the Colorado Springs Psychopathic Hospital was built in 1924 to provide acute and residential inpatient psychiatric treatment for people of all ages. The year the hospital opened, one of the patients was reported to shoot a pretend pistol at an imaginary phantom because the voices of aboriginal spirits buried on the land told him to do so. A little bizarre. Pretend pistol. Mm. Ghost by the name of Farmer Floyd's also said they've haunted the hospital for more than 60 years. According to uh, the story, this 38-year-old bachelor farmer fell in love with a slightly older divorced housekeeper named Lois. Not a single day went by that Floyd didn't ask Lois to marry him, and she tolerated it, but she never accepted his proposal. After some time, she became frightened of Floyd when he went on drunken binges that would last for weeks at a time. In 1947, after eight years of living in fear of her life, she decided to leave the area and got a job at the Colorado Springs Psychopathic Hospital. Her employment not only paid her very well, but included a small apartment above the building's laundry room. Uh, she felt safe and secure in her new life, and things were going well for her until a year later. Uh, 
Floyd showed up one night and asked her one last time to marry him. When she refused, he pulled out a pistol and shot her through the heart. Then he put the gun against his own chest and fired a second bullet into his heart. Newspaper articles across the country reported a tragic, horrific scene of the two bodies, the engagement ring, the pistol, and the love letter Floyd had written declaring that life without Lois would be unbearable. Allegedly, the blood stain on the floor of the apartment couldn't be removed no matter how many times it was painted and sanded and primed. Farmer Floyd's ghost has been seen stalking the grounds of the hospital at night, allegedly throwing stones at teenagers making out in the nearby parking lot. The ghostly image appears to life like he's often confused for a hospital maintenance worker, at least until the blood stains on his denim overalls become clear. Inside the walls of St. Francis Hospital, there are many aspects of the phrase, the walls can talk. One uh, 2013 Colorado Springs Gazette article reported that thousands of notes to family members, surgeons, even to God, were found scribbled on small scraps of paper. And the papers have been slid into the cracks between the century-old bricks of the building, and the notes told both tales of tragedy and tuberculosis and stories of triumph and endless love. Same article, a security guard from the hospital shared stories about working the shift from 4 p.m. to midnight at the hospital and the various inexplicable things he'd seen or heard over the years. He said the sound of footsteps echoing through deserted corridors and doors opening and closing on their own have become somewhat commonplace. He even saw a locked door that was always locked, suddenly and inexplicably open, all of its own volition for a few minutes before it closed again without any human intervention. And cast from nowhere, small, child-sized uh, shadows have been seen moving along the hospital corridor walls. He shared one story about a dark, adult-sized figure stepping right out of the shadows and facing him as if staring. He reported in so it didn't feel dark or malevolent, but rather as though somebody wasn't, just wasn't ready to move on. You know, the, there are many things in this world that don't make sense. And when you deal with hauntings, whether it's in a, a home, outdoors, in a hospital, everything has a reason. And sometimes the reasons are the entity doesn't know they're dead. You find a lot of that in areas where there were battles. One minute you're alive and well and leading the charge, the next minute you're dead and you're standing there wondering what the hell's going on. And as I started at the end of the, sh the beginning of the show, you know, we've got, uh, we live in strange times. And we've got the folks that we elect to make our lives better doing everything they can to solidify their own power as opposed to taking care of the folks you're supposed to be looking out for. Well, on that note, and I'll be giving you more little tidbits of information about some of the bizarre things that go on. But right now, we come to the end of today's show. We're running out of time. We'll be back tomorrow, and once again, you'll be listening to Ken Hudnall on the Ken Hudnall Show. Until then, have a truly great evening. <laughs>